We are now ready for deeper truth. Number seven, transformation. We're in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. What is the secret of deep, significant spiritual transformation? Do we push ourselves to pray harder, read more and more scripture, go to church more often, scold ourselves when we fall short, go to more revivals and other religious meetings, and then act like the saints that we hope we have become? If that was the secret, then we would have a works-driven faith. We know good works and the fruits of the Spirit are the byproducts of transformation. But how do we avoid the trap of doing, 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 trying, 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 and then hiding and pretending that we are something we know deep down that we really aren't? We can take our cues for authentic faith both from the Old and New Testaments, as well as church history. But the writer of Hebrews calls us to begin with the spiritual heroes of the Old Testament. He knows his audience. And they reveal a pattern that may not be obvious at first. It's not a pattern of doing or pretending, but a pattern that comes from deep experience with God. It is a pattern or process of spiritual transformation. That process is not always the same. There is no prescription or formula for that transformation. But as we look at these Old Testament saints, there are some similarities in their experiences and their walk with God. But to find those commonalities, we must probe their lives carefully, not for easy answers, but for the experiences that shaped them and their subsequent faith in God. For some of these dear saints, the quest for that shape their life is clearer, but it is for others. I'll say that again. For some of these saints, the quest for what shaped their faith is clearer than it is for others. Listen to the lessons of Hebrews 11 to see the process of transformation. Chapter 11 begins with defining faith, an important step because the word faith is used and misused in many ways. The Passion Translation states that faith brings hope into reality and is a foundation for obtaining what we long for, our deepest longings. Now, that's not wanting a Mercedes or a beautiful big home, but it's the evidence that's needed to prove what currently is not seen spiritually. The first hero of faith mentioned is Abel, because he chose the more acceptable form of sacrifice than his brother Cain. While we don't know exactly when or how he learned what was acceptable, it is possible that God spoke to him and probably talked to Cain as well. And this placed both sons of Adam at a crossroad, the same crossroad that Adam and Eve encountered. No doubt they each considered what they had been told, and yet they made opposite decisions, Abel choosing to obey and Cain to disobey the Lord. Abel is a hero simply because he chose to obey God, and it cost him his life. That's a picture of Jesus, by the way. In contrast, Enoch is heroic because he brought pleasure to God. 
he made it a habit to obey the Lord. He apparently did not question God's statements the way Cain and his parents had done. But the writer of Hebrews assures us that it is faith that pleases God. It is faith that God is real and rewards those who seek him wholeheartedly. Noah made use of his faith by keeping an open mind to God's revelations to him about a coming flood. Yet he had not seen a flood before and probably had not even seen rain before. All three, Abel, Enoch, and Noah, indwelt their previous knowledge. They each had real choices, and they all made use of the knowledge they had of God. It seems likely there was more knowledge to indwell with each successive generation, but ultimately they chose to obey God. Every important decision requires the indwelling of what we already know. We recall what we have experienced and what we've been told to do, and sometimes that's enough to make a good decision. Some of us made the decision to follow Jesus by just indwelling what we had heard. We had faith that what we were told about God was true, and usually this approach is deciding for Christ, which is done by children. And when this is the case, the child is usually kind of naive and is just trying to please others, the pastor, the parents, or someone else. Teenagers may attend church as much or more for the fun and games as much as for serving God, and youth leaders may tailor the youth program accordingly. Such teens may lack depth of commitment, but parents and church are satisfied that they are mixing with the right people. Often, however, this is a, there is a crisis of faith at some point in the teen years, and for some the crisis is deferred until later in life, and some choose the naive faith that they have always had, as they are fixated in childish immaturity, living on milk instead of solid food, as we have seen before in this book. And it must be admitted, there are some who seem to do well without a crisis at all. But often there is a crisis where a decision is made for or against Christ, either for a first or a second time. Well, why would they need to do it a second time? Because they have new mental abilities. They can now give all of themselves to Christ because they are able to think about all of themselves. Little kids can't do that. Now, I had a second crisis back when I was about 16 or 17 years of age. I didn't like church, and I told my parents I no longer wanted to attend. They were very wise. They agreed that the church we attended didn't seem to be helping me grow in the faith. They encouraged me to find a church home, even if it was not the church that we were attending at the time. That option of choosing a church surprised me, and soon I was strategizing how to attend as many different kinds of churches as I could. I kept careful notes about each church, and I learned a lot. Actually, it was kind of doing research. And I could make an informed choice as a result. But I gained something unexpected. I began to identify with the church in all of its variety 
well, except for one extreme case. But at the same time, I became attuned to the distinctives in theology of various branches of Christianity. That also helped me make informed choices about church. Now, this may not be the right thing for every teenager, or even for every adult, but visiting well over 100 different churches in a single year helped me mature in the faith and develop a foundation that was rooted in understanding the breadth of the Christian faith. Depth would come later. It was the right thing for me at that time. It was an exploration, while other teens might make recommitments, and might not. And unfortunately, some drop out or or become a member of a cult. I think my parents had faith in me, and that in turn strengthened my faith. I indwelt the knowledge that I already had, and the knowledge that I gained over that year. And a funny thing happened. My parents began to explore their faith as well, and that produced a lot of discussion at home. We learned from each other. We didn't always agree, but their willingness to listen helped me mature in the faith. And then, when I went to college, a couple years later, I recommitted my life to Christ. This is Brother Don.